Howdy, this is Jim Rutt, and this is The Jim Rutt Show. This is The Jim Rutt Show, and this is your host, Jim Rutt. Our guest today is Zach Voorhees, who recently left Google after eight years as a software engineer. He has some provocative claims about Google. He claims that Google has been acting improperly and even illegally with respect to search results, blacklists, and more. And he has publicly posted a large repository of what he describes as Google internal documents to support his claim. This is a special Newsmaker episode of The Jim Rudd Show, which we have pulled together very rapidly. Unlike on our regular episodes, I haven't researched Zach, nor have I reviewed his documents nor do I have a strong opinion about the guest's expertise and claims. And as you will hear in the episode, I strongly disagree with some of Zach's assertions. Nonetheless, the claims Zach makes about Google's manipulation of our information sphere are very disturbing if true. And he does tie each of his claims to the publicly available cache of documents that he has collected. So decide for yourself. With those caveats, let's get started. Welcome, Zach. Hi. How you doing, Jim? Good to be on the show. Yeah, great to have you. Uh, you've recently uh, come into some public notoriety. I uh, saw you, that you've put some documents out from your days at Google and have uh, been labeled by others, if not yet yourself, as the Snowden of Google. What do you think about that as a uh, as a description? I think it's somewhat accurate. Um, I've been collecting documents from Google for a few years. Um, and the reason why I collected those documents was because Google was lying to the American public about its meddling, not only meddling in search results and YouTube queries, but also meddling in elections. And I could tell that, you know, I, I saw that the Google executives were perjuring themselves in front of con congressional testimony. And I was able to sh prove that perjury by seeing that the things that they said didn't exist actually existed. So they said to Congress, we don't employ blacklists. That's just not something that we do. And I would as I was listening to that, I would go onto the internal search page and I would type in blacklists and it would and I would get results. And the one of the results, which is really popular, is the YouTube query blacklist. And so um, that's why I decided to disclose was to let the American people know what was really happening. Uh, what's been the reaction from Google? Well, Google attempted to stop me from doing this um, and they called a wellness check once they knew that I was the leaker. They called a wellness check on me um, and that ended up escalating uh, because I didn't want to talk to the police. What is a well, what's a wellness check for the benefit of our listeners? That's kind of a new jargon, which I don't think everybody knows. Tell us what's a wellness check. Yeah, I didn't know about it until, um, until it happened to me. But a wellness check is a tip that someone can call into the police and say, I don't think this person's well, or I think they're going to do something. And the police then have probable cause to come to your house and search and hunt you out until they find you. And then they can ask you a series of questions like, you know, are you suicidal? Do you plan to hurt yourself? 
have you or hurt anyone else? Have, have you taken the proper medication? You know, and it's these invasive questions. Um, and then once they get the answer that they want, they leave. And if you say the wrong answer, um, then they detain you and take you into custody. Pretty fucking Orwellian, sounds like to me. Absolutely. And I would uh, suggest uh, anyone who would use such a thing in bad faith is a uh, moral scoundrel of the first water. Absolutely. And I would also say they'd be a, uh, a very uh, excellent defendant in a lawsuit. <laughs> maybe, maybe. I mean, what they did was illegal, you know, and they're going to say, well, he, we had probable cause because something that I posted on Twitter, which was I posted a dead man switch. And for those that don't know what a dead man switch, when there's a whistleblower coming forward or someone that has sensitive information and they are concerned that they're going to be assassinated, then what they can do is they can tell their adversary, hey, look, if you kill me, then the information that I have will be disclosed to the public. And so I put a dead man switch on Twitter, and they use that as justification to call in the wellness check. Sounds like bad faith to me. People at Google know what a dead man switch is, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Though I, I suppose they could probably get away with uh, playing stupid. And who knows, maybe somebody in HR is authentically stupid, as we know. Uh, that, that, that that seems to happen a lot. It <laughs> seem to get stupider the more people join in. It's really a weird phenomenon. Yeah, I remember when Google had, you know, almost a monopoly on the best and the brightest, but uh, not clear. It's certainly not the best anymore, but maybe uh, they still have a pretty good supply of the bright. The engineers are really smart. This is the weird thing is that the engineers are so smart and so competent that you expect that management would be, you know, the same. But um, that's not the case. Uh, it seems that they're selected more for loyalty than for competence. Yeah, that's when the rot starts to set in. Mm -hmm. uh, when people start kissing up in an organization, you know, a, a good a good uh, middle level manager or executive punches up at their bosses and protects their people. Right. When people start doing the opposite, the rot has set in. That's correct. That's correct. And that's what I saw. And I started to see that in 2016, right after Trump got elected. Interesting. So let's go back to what you have seen as a pattern of egregious uh, behavior at Google that you believe is has some unifying strategy behind it. Start, start with sort of what you started to see and what your inferences are from that behavior and what you think motivates that behavior. Yeah. So let's go back to 2016. Trump has won the election and the executives freak out. And they have every week, there's a weekly meeting of the executives with all of the Google employees. We call it TGIF. Oddly enough, TGIF happens on Thursday now, but I digress. And so at this TGIF, the executives got together and they kind of had a, like, well, Trump got elected. Let's let's talk about like what it means. And during this meeting, they said some really crazy stuff. And they were saying that Trump was elected because Russia hacked our election. And Trump got elected because there's a lot of racism and hate and misogyny, you know, in the general public. And that's just and that and that they didn't realize how bad it was. And so they that's the new reality. And one of the executives even started crying up on stage. Yeah, I, re I heard that. I remember that. I go, what the fuck, right? Yeah, what uh, the fuck? So, so this was all disclosed. So somebody, it wasn't me, took a copy of this video and gave it to Breitbart. 
and Breitbart posted the video and immediately was like shared with a whole bunch of people. It was a huge story and everyone was was sort of like taken aback by, wow, these, these people running Google are really, really ideologues. So what happened with all this is, is I started to notice that there was some funny stuff going on with Google and around December 2016, odd papers started to appear on their internal networks. And I've included a copy of this in my disclosure to the public. And the name of the article is something along the lines of um, psychological induced stress um, as a result of algorithmic discrimination. And for some people, it seems broken on their computer. But if you can repair the PDF, it's, a, it's, it's like 60 pages of psychology musings about stress of being discriminated against by algorithms and how to make that less of an issue. And so one of the things that they said about this is that the way they could relieve a lot of the stress of the users was to give them non-functional buttons and dials that would pretend to turn some of the censorship off. And that restoring a user's sense of control would give them, would reduce their distress caused by all the discrimination. I'm sitting here reading this paper going, what the hell? What the hell? And then there's weird, other weird stuff in there saying that when people are crowded in trains, that they tend to buy more products through, through ads. And so the paper describes like, how do we simulate this, this sense of crowding so that so people will buy more things. And I'm, I'm just sitting there going, wait a minute, like we're, we're getting the best scientists, statisticians and mathematicians and psychologists so that we can increase ad engagement by 0.1%. Like what is going on here? So that was, that was the beginning of it, right? That was the beginning of sort of like my awakening of what Google was doing. And then we hold on just a second here. I mean, uh, isn't their business model tweaking ad engagement by one tenth of one percent? I mean, that is the business of Google, right, is to hijack people's attention and then auction it off to the highest bidder. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I guess I just saw it and I was just like, wow, this is really evil. And I thought at the beginning that, okay, well, they're just trying to like, you know, maximize profits for their shareholders, which is their fiduciary responsibility. Right. So, but I, I started going, I started thinking to myself, well, what's going on here? And what I noticed is the company started ramping up the, the crazy, right? And they, the first thing that they started doing to really ramp this up was define the concept of fake news. The executives explained to the company that fake news was, you know, a reason that Trump got elected. And so they needed to protect the American public from all of this fake news. And so they started clamping down on fake news. They started, you know, creating these papers about like what fake news is. And in that paper, they had an example of what fake news was. And in that example, they actually were listing events that took place. Okay. So I'll give you an example. Like Hillary Clinton ran weapons soup in Ghazi to fund ISIS, to arm ISIS in Syria. This is, for anybody that researches this, they know that this is a conspiracy fact. Google's listing this as an example of fake news that they need to censor. And I'm, I'm thinking, why, why, why are they getting involved in this politics? Like, why do they have a dog in the fight? But that's, that, that's clearly where they were going. And so they started to, 
to sort of sculpt the information landscape. And as I started seeing that they were that they were what they were filtering, I started investigating. Well, you know what's what's really going on? Is this fake news or is this not fake news? And what I discovered was shocking. I discovered that Hillary Clinton sold off twenty percent of America's uranium capacity to Russia, and that there was a book done by this, by Peter Schweitzer of the, uh, I think it was the Hoover Institute or, or something like that, one of these think tanks. It clearly lays out all the evidence that, that, that this is what happened. And now I see Google at the company is trying to, is trying to filter this. And I start seeing that like Wikipedia is saying that this is a conspiracy theory, even though it seems that it's a conspiracy fact. Like it's, it's unimpeachable. The evidence is just so overwhelming. And so I start going through this awakening and I, and I, and I continue down and I continue to get these documents and I, and I, and I start figuring out that there's this new system that they're building called machine learning fairness. Aha. Now that's uh, a little bit of another Orwellian term there. Tell me about that. Yeah. So what can I say about machine learning fairness? Well, what they thought was because there was all this fake news and there was all this hate and racism online that Google was going to fix it through a project called Machine Learning Fairness. And what Fairness was going to do was Fairness was, well, it is doing, and I'm not going to use the past tense. Uh, what it's doing is it's rebiasing all of their search results and it's rebiasing their YouTube results and it's rebiasing all of their news. So Google search YouTube and news are like the main targets of this like ML fairness from a user perspective. And what it does is it takes in as input training data and it's and it generates these rules which are applied to uh, comments, videos, documents, everything that's searching for and figures out how to rank the uh, content based on how fair it is. And what's really strange is that one of the documents that they had said, like, defined like what algorithmic unfairness was. And what they said is like, imagine that you were doing a search for CEOs and most of the results that popped back were male. And Google's words were, if even if this represented objective reality, we could still classify it as algorithmically unfair and that we should intervene via product intervention. Oh, this is when I said Orwellian in the general sense. Uh, this now sounds like it's uh, Orwellian in the specific sense and that they are trying to use the word fairness for distorting reality. That's correct. They're looking to to change the nature of reality to make a better person. And in these documents, you know, talking about how, you know, they can be algorithmically more fair, they're also describing like what they feel about the user. And what they feel about the user is that the user is programmed based upon the content that they're interacting with. So news that's aggregated and goes to the user, like that goes into the user's head and then they, they programs them. And then they turn around and then they generate content. And this content then contains this fairness bias whatever you want to call it. And then that generates more content and that gets aggregated and filtered. And then this, this, the program repeats. And so the fact that they said that people like us are programmed and that's the exact words that they used was really disturbing. I went, okay, so they think people like us can be programmed. Okay. Well, is this just a one office? Is this just one rogue employee? But then I saw it in like another document that was 
that was generated and they had done it in a different way. And I was like, okay, this is academic. They think of us as program programmable units and they're going to use their control mechanism in order to program us. And like, this is something like out of a sci-fi novel, but I'm reading it like at my desk and I'm going, Oh my God, the American people need to know what's coming down the pipeline. Because if they're going to program us and that's their intention, then we can't escape them because they're literally everywhere. I use the, the Google Chrome browser to do a Google Chrome search. When I want to contact someone, I use Gmail. Half the people that I talk to have Android phones. Google is everywhere. And they've got the scale necessary to be able to sculpt that information landscape. And if you go against the narrative, maybe Google's going to turn evil and then they're going to be able to know where you are every single moment of the day. It's really quite frightening when I when I started to see the whole future unfold and what was coming down the pipeline aimed directly at America's mind. I want to recap that for our audience, uh, uh, see if I understood what you had to say. If I didn't, correct me. What I took away from this is that you believe Google believes that it is programming its users by the content it delivers, which from a cognitive science perspective probably has some validity to it, actually. But the next step is that they believe they have some kind of moral obligation or business obligation or some other obligation to program people to be better, quote unquote, in ways they Google believe is better. That's correct. Is that, what you're, is that yeah. your claim? Is that the center of your claim? That's the center of my claim. Okay. Uh, and in the past, we have all generally assumed, and certainly the Google twins, Paige and Bryn, have claimed that they are objective and that they would never, ever try to put a thumb on the scale. And you believe you have evidence that shows that that is not true. Yeah. Not only do I, not only do I have the evidence, I've disclosed this evidence and everyone around the world is now in a game of downloading this and dissecting it and posting it online to Twitter and social media networks. And yeah, I mean, let me give the uh, let me give our uh, audience the address where you can get this data. Um, I'm going to give you a caveat, though, once I give it to you. It's projectveritas.com slash Google dash document dash dump. Uh, gets you to a pile of stuff. Go to the everything.zip and download that. Ignore their attempt to peddle some software product, which may or may not even exist, and uh, just download the everything.zip and extract it. That's the best way to get access to Zach's complete archive and start looking through it. See if what he says is veritas, the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I will say, as I've been looking around, I talked to Pat a little bit. It, it would be very helpful for people like my audience, which are smart people, but often busy people who don't have time to do this themselves, for someone to craft a well done narrative document, maybe 10 pages, that, you know, tells the story that you're trying to sell, has some excerpts from these documents, and then direct pointers right to the documents so that people in 20 minutes can get the whole story in a, uh, uh, in a convincing or not convincing way. I would strongly suggest you and your friends do that. Yep, yep. And the thing is, is that it's coming. The think tanks, the people that are influencers are dissecting this and making sense of it you know, as we speak. One of the people that I urge your listeners to check out is Robert Epstein. He is the former chief editor of Psychology Today, and he's made it his like life's mission for the last few years to prove that Google is engaging in 
election meddling and doing it intentionally. And so, you know, I, I release this information for people like Robert Epstein and, you know, people like your audience to be able to see what Google is really up to because what they say to Congress and under oath is just not based in reality. What they're doing is they're, they're covering, they're maliciously covering for their intentions to engage in election interference. And we know they have the capability, right? The book, The Age of Surveillance Capitalism by Shoshana Zuboff. While I have some quibbles about some of the things in the book, I will say that uh, she landed a 6.0 perfect stick on showing that uh, Google has the power to buy a search result, do lots of news results to do. They have essentially unlimited power to make the world appear however they want from or within reason from the perspective of the Google user. So now we have, have Zach saying that not only do they have that power, but they are now using it. That's pretty scary. Pretty scary. Uh, do you have a hypothesis on why they're doing this? So there's these establishment media players that are pushing a lot of this racism and this Russian collusion conspiracy hoax that was thrusted upon the American public and the media. And my guess is who's ever been driving them has been also driving the agenda of Google. This has been kind of in lockstep with the other social media companies. And what's really curious is that when I go and look at the stockholders of these companies, the stockholders are similar. And actually, I think in a lot of cases, they're almost the same. And for like the top seven. And if you look at the top seven, they have roughly equal proportions of ownership. And so my question is for these people that own it, you know, that own all the stock, you know, are they the ones driving the agenda? And I suspect that they are. And I suspect that it's coordinated because it's not a coincidence that everyone is wrong about the same thing at the same time. Right? Like, how did everyone get, get suckered into this Russian collusion conspiracy hoax? It's, it's mind-blowing. And so the fact that this is happening, and also, also the culture war with trying to redefine, you know, first sex into gender, and then we're talking about gender, and then whenever they refer to someone's, you know, sexual identity, it's now referring it to their gender identity, and now gender identity can be whatever someone decides, so now men can have babies. And the fact that this consensual delusion is being pushed through all these different channels at the same time means that it's there's some coordination going on. There's some agenda that's being pushed. And people need to investigate why this agenda is being pushed by so many establishment players at the same time. Okay. Uh, I just did a quick look at the institutional holders of uh, top holders outside the insiders at Google. And it's just basically big pooled capital, Vanguard, BlackRock, T. Rowe Price, FMR, Northern Trust, those do not seem to me to be a likely source of ideological influence. Those people are strictly chasing yield. They're held accountable by for yield by their investors. Uh, heck, I invested a couple of those. So I doubt that it's the shareholders. If there is a additional force, it's somewhere else. Okay, well, that's really that's really interesting because I, when I saw the Vanguard and the Blackwater appear over and over and over again, my assumption was like, well, maybe maybe they're putting pressure on Google to do the things. But you know, I'm not not an expert in institutional uh, investing, so but you might have more visibility into that. I, I, I do want to add too that when Google went IPO, they had a really different way of structuring the company with relation to their stock, and what they've done is that they've given an uh, uh, they've created a, diff a couple different classes of stocks, and one of them 
has preferential voting rights, like a, something like 10 to 1, which means that 10% of the stockholders have as much power as uh, 90% of the stockholders. So when they went IPO, they had this like you know note saying that stockholders aren't going to necessarily understand all of their opinions, but that they have to trust the executives to make the right decisions for the long-term goal of the company. Well, now it's 2019. We know actually what they meant by that. We're going to take over the world and we don't want the stockholders to revolt against us. So we're going to take away all of their power. As you know, many of the uh, tech platform companies have done that. Uh, Facebook did an even more powerful version of it. In fact, I just pu- I just pulled it up here on Google. They have three classes of shares. Class A, one vote per share, of which there are 290 million shares outstanding. This was in 2016. Uh, so it might be a little different, but not big. Class B, with 10 votes per share, of which there are 52 million. So that's 520 million votes versus the 290 million votes of the Class A. And Class C, with no votes, of which there are 343 million shares outstanding. So the Class B shareholders, i.e. the insiders, uh, absolutely control the company. There you go. That is that. There you go. Class B. So they've created this insider voting block, which has a disproportionate amount of power. And now it's clear that Google is abandoning their fiduciary responsibility to their stockholders. And now the stockholders are stuck. There's nothing they can do about it, right? They can sue Google and say, no, you can't do this. Why are you, you know, meddling in election theory? But they can't, they can't use the power of their voting. And so now what's happening is that all this flowery language that Google has used to describe like their high and mighty moral stance just turns out to be a cover for criminal activity. Can you uh, substantiate criminal activity? I know you mentioned earlier, I I think it was probably before we went live and on the record, the idea that you believe they're guilty of perjury to Congress. Can you prove that? I'd love to see you put that together as a document. uh, So I just created a Medium article today proving that they are engaging in, in, um, they, that, they're engaging in perjury to Congress. So there's a guy by the name of Karen Buta, I think, I, b- I believe. He used to work at GE, but now he works at Google. And he went before Congress, I think in July. And he said, we just don't, like Google does not employ blacklists. Like it's just not something that we do, right? Well, that's really curious because I've disclosed two blacklists with my disclosure. And Robert Epstein has disclosed nine previous blacklists that he was able to discover through different information channels. So now we've got a total of like 11 or 12 blacklists that have been disclosed to the public. And here we have, you know, a representative Google testifying under oath to Congress that they don't use any blacklists. Well, he may be able to get off on the fact that he didn't know, but of course he should have caveated that, that his knowledge was not, he was either lying, which is certainly possible, or he was ignorant, one or the other. Yeah, but it goes all the way up to the CEO because the CEO echoed something similar under 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 oath as well. I can't remember what, exactly what that quote is, but but it was it was it was around political censorship, and that's just like completely false. Like you can go to the Google search engine and you can type in Trump body count, and it will it will auto predict like that you're typing in you know Trump's body count which is ridiculous. There's, he doesn't have one. But then you go to Hillary Clinton and she's got a horrendous body count list. It's like between 45 and 60 people have died under mysterious conditions around her. And so when you type in Hillary 
body, you know, like, like with the C, it won't give you any suggestions. It won't do any predictions. And then now you can cross-reference this. And this is all my article, by the way, on Medium. Um, you can cross-reference this with another service called trends.google.com. Now, trends.google.com shows you the real traffic that people are using in order to do these searches. Okay. And so what you can do is you can, you can choose one keyword and then you can like put it in relation to another keyword. So what I did is I showed that I could put in Hillary Clinton body count and then like Trump's body count. And then I compare those two keywords. Trump almost has nobody searching for Trump body count. Clinton's is through the roof. Okay. But Clinton's doesn't show up under the search results. You know, if this was one isolated incident of political bias, that may be written off as some sort of error. But you can do this to conservative, you can do this to liberal, you can do this to like men, men, you can do this to women. And what you're going to find is that the search terms that they're auto predicting are don't reflect what users are actually searching for. So the question is, why are all, you know, why is all this meddling and search all related to a, the, a political ideology. You know, if it, if, it, if it was like just, you know, weird random stuff, then you would think that there would be like no orientation. But this all has a political orientation. And so when they say that they don't use blacklists, that's perjury. When they say that they don't have a political ideology, that's perjury. And the thing is, is that we know that they've got political bias because not only have they interfered in America's election, they've also interfered in Ireland's election through the banning of the of the word eighth or the phrase Eighth Amendment to the Constitution of Ireland, which is disclosed in um, the YouTube query blacklist in my disclosure. And also what I just found out recently is that the Supreme Court of Brazil ruled that Google interfered in their election. And they know this because they produced the contract between Google and the opponent to the current president of Brazil. Interesting. Uh, first, I would like to inter uh, just say from my own perspective that the idea that Hillary Clinton has actually killed 46 people or something I find to be extremely uh, unlikely and out there in wackadoodle conspiracy theory land. But nonetheless, it is interesting that, but, but you are correct that many people search on that and believe that while there is no such I didn't believe it either I mean I just want to put out I didn't I didn't I was not a conspiracy theorist um, in 2016 I didn't believe that Hillary Clinton was doing any of this really bad stuff but then once I saw that there was suppression I started looking at it myself and you know the, and wow, one after another, after another, I look through and there's like a guy, maybe it was Vince Foster. He was found with two gunshot wounds to the back of the head and it was ruled a suicide. And so there's this like criminal mafia element that's going through and whacking all of these people. And it's, it's people that are just about to come out against the Clintons. And like right before testimony, they, they get whacked. Like I remember there was this one guy that had information about Hillary and and the fraud that happened with Haiti and he comes to Florida to like testify and like a couple days before he testifies he dies right I'd be careful about adhering to those uh, things uh, you know there is a part of our brain that loves to build these conspiracy theories but uh, there's enough honest reporters out there if there was anything solid to them I think 
we would have seen more about them. So my suggestion would be to go slow on claiming the conspiracies. You don't need to do that to tell your story. You know, I think the fact that they have biased the discussion of conspiracy theories is enough. You know, I, I would not I would recommend you don't go beyond that at this point while trying to sell your story. Not necessary. I mean, you're entitled to your opinion, but you know, I, I, I've, I've done enough investigation where I've, I've built up the, uh, what I consider a true model of how the world works. And, um, and this is, this is, I mean, there are so many things that the media is not reporting on. Like no one's reporting on this Google leak in the establishment media. Fox news isn't covering it. CNN isn't covering it. MSNBC isn't covering it. You know, there's some, there's a conspiracy going right now where they're not allowing this story to reach the American public. And they like Fox news reported on, you know, the first leak that, or the, the first like minor leak that project Veritas had, they also reported on Greg Coppola coming out there and talking. But when this came out and the, and everything got released, you would think that they would at least talk about it somewhat, but it's been a media blackout. So, you know, if you, if one applies Occam razor to the whole set of data that's out there, they, they can only come to the conclusion that there is a, that there is some conspiracy that's going on that reaches all the way into the media system. And that's, that's what I believe. And that's what makes the world simpler. And anything that makes the world a little bit simpler is something worth investigating. I will say that's what I saw, that there was nobody picking this up. It's one of the reasons I wanted to have you on my podcast, right? I wanted to get your... I really appreciate it. You know, there's this is how we get it out there to the people is, you know, the story is one of the biggest stories of 2019. And everyone that reads it is is terrified when they see what Google is really up to. And and getting the story out to the American public is how we make change, because the way to defeat evil is you just got to expose it. You know, you don't have to worry about fighting it or getting, you know, your armor on or swords like you just got to speak the truth. And once people understand what's happening, then change will come as a result. It's a force of nature. And it is true that the the big platforms and the mainstream media no longer have an exclusive on dissemination of the truth, right? We now have collective information networks of people like podcasters, like bloggers, like Twitter, t- tweeters, I guess they call them, mm-hmm. uh, who can work together, not in a tightly coupled way, but cooperatively to get out stories that they believe to be true. Right. The gatekeepers are being bypassed. And what I like to call this is the new Gutenberg printing press. The Gutenberg print printing press changed the information landscape and caused a completely new form of society to to come out one where where most people were you know became literate and um, and we're in that transition right now because these networks of people are able to propagate stories and bypass the gatekeepers and so i can I can tell my truth and I can drop you know evidence of criminal wrongdoing and that goes directly to the American public. And that's amazing. We've never had something like that before. Absolutely. I think it's a great thing. Can you give me the title of your Medium post so I can find it and give people the link to it? I don't have my laptop next to me. I'm on a friend's laptop. Can can you find me on Twitter? Because it's one of the top posts that I have right now. And for your listeners out there, my Twitter handle is at... Perpetual Maniac. Perpetual Maniac. I like that. Zach Forey's Perpetual Maniac. How about that? Uh-huh. Uh, okay. Minds.perpetualmaniac. The letter went to Tulsi Gabbard's attorney. And that's a pen tweet. It's going to be 
two down from that. Okay, why did Google suppress Medium? Okay, all right. Here's the title. Why did Google suppress autocomplete for Clinton body count? If you type that phrase and medium into your window, let's see if Google isn't some nefarious way censoring it. That would be very interesting if they were, wouldn't it? So let me actually do a cut and paste here of the title, put it into a Google search window and see what comes up. Okay, it comes up on Y Combinator. Is on Y Combinator. Yeah. Story was posted to Y Combinator. Th that search brings up something on Y Combinator. Let's see if it takes it to your story. It did. So yes, it's on Y Combinator. Cool. Uh, which means you will get some traffic. That's an excellent spot. So yeah, it's on Y on the Y Combinator wire right now. It's on. Let's see anybody else. Media. No. All right. Let me type medium next to it and see if that brings it up. Oh, it's on. Uh, it's interesting. Uh, nope. When I type, why did uh, Google, you know, the title cut and paste with the word medium, it does not bring it up. <laughs> well, I've been told that all of my stuff gets shadow banned immediately after I post it. So um, it doesn't surprise me at this point. Let me let me put in your name and see if that helps any. Uh, that is, but it is on. It does come up on Y Combinator as the uh, first thing. Nope, even with your name, it does not come up in the top 10 on uh, the first page on, on Google, which is pretty interesting. When did you publish it? I published it this morning. It may not, uh, you know, just to be, so we don't overclaim, uh, it may not yet have been uh, picked up by the indexer. So, I mean, the thing is, is that Medium pushes all of their content directly to the Google search index live. So it should, it should be in within a few seconds. So well, in which case I would suggest you go to either Twitter and uh, Perpetual Maniac or go to Medium and put in why did Google suppressed autocomplete for the uh, tested on medium but make sure that works there that would be really scary if it didn't work on medium uh medium okay brings you up okay that's curious are you not so able to find it now it says detect when google is lying about autocomplete political bias yeah it generated a url and i changed the um the title so the url is a little funny it still has the old keyword stuffing in it Okay, I like this. I'm looking at it quickly. And this is exactly what I had in mind. Uh, take the story, back it up with excerpts and tell it in a clear, simple way for people to digest. I'm not looked at it carefully. I'm not going to say I believe it yet, but I say this is exactly the way I would encourage you to tell your story in a way that, you know, that a person can follow without having to digest the whole mass of the data. Yep. Yeah, and the thing is, is that right now we're in a unique situation where trends.google.com is still allowed to contradict Google. And my guess is that they haven't figured out how this little trick. And so if the people that are listening right now want to test for Google bias, then cross-reference the auto-suggestion search uh, feature on Google with the trends.google.com. Put in the same exact phrase and you're going to see what the real traffic is and you're going to see the ideological bias in play. Yeah, I love that objective evidence so that people can make their own their own mind up about whether what Zach is saying here is really happening and I believe he uh, has presented some compelling evidence, but people can go out and, and manufacture that evidence for themselves. It'd be very interesting if people do find interesting discrepancies to write their own quick medium post. One of the beauties of medium is you can knock together a post in 15 minutes and have it up and have some readers.
Mm-hmm. Yep. That's great. What else would you like our audience to hear about? What would you say some of the more uh, flammatory, dangerous, scary things that you learned in your in your time at Google? All right. So I want to talk about the pen tweet that I have right now on my Twitter account. And the title, if I remember correctly, is I know how insiders could take down Tulsi Gabbard's ad account because I saw how insiders took down Jordan B. Peterson. Yep. Yep. And so I want to talk about that story because it, it illustrates how Google gets is able to implement their political agenda. Let's hear it. What happened with let's let's go back to Tulsi Gabbard. She, recall that she was part of the Democratic debates and she did a really good job. And so people after the debates decided that they were going to search for Tulsi Gabbard. Well, coincidentally, Tulsi Gabbard's ad account got suspended for suspicious activity. And I talked to her lawyer over the phone and uh, who's launching a $50 million lawsuit. And he was explaining to me about the language that Google used, that it was hard to get an answer. And they said that there was some suspicious activity related to the accounts. They took it down. This is they deactivated as a precautionary uh, measure. Now, what this meant was that when people were searching Tulsi Gabbard, the only promoted websites that came up were her opponents that were trying to capture her audience and divert it to them. Well, I've seen this kind of thing before. And I saw it with Jordan B. Peterson. And what's happening is that there's a security vulnerability that Google has refused to patch and that a group of insiders know about and exploit. And the way that it works is pretty simple. Say that you've got, let's say that Jordan Peterson's email account was xxx at gmail.com. Now, you get this email address. And so what you do is that you decide that you're going to take xxx and you're going to replace it with xxy. And then you make a new account. And then you do xxz. And then maybe do zxx, right? And you create all these different accounts that are close to the original account, but they differ by like one letter. Now you've got an email network. Now this email network starts pushing spam to a bunch of other different email addresses. What happens is that the Google AI will deactivate the spam network, but surprisingly, it will also delete the original email address. Well, not delete, it will deactivate it. Okay, so now the AI has brought down the target email address. Wow, that's very, very pernicious and very clever. Yeah, and I know this because I saw the bug report attached to this because I was pushing the restoration of Jordan B. Peterson's email account onto, you know, back back onto the uh, onto the Google system. So I was following this. And the report from one of the operators was, oh yeah, yeah, there's there's a bunch of spam accounts that was made with his whole thing. And I was just like, oh my God, I've got insider knowledge now. I can take down anyone's account and they're not going to know how it works. Right? And so this is a pattern that I've seen done over and over and over again is that Google has some sort of obscure vulnerability and that a group of insiders gets knowledge of this vulnerability and then they use it to take down anyone that they want at any time. And I believe based upon the pattern that Tulsi Gabbard's account was taken down, that I believe that this is how she was taken down. And so I gave, I wrote an open letter to her attorney on how to do discovery so that he could find this pattern within Google's own bug database and then use this in order to further discovery to see if the same thing was happening with Tulsi Gabbard's account. 
Now, I'm not asserting that this happened to Tulsi Gabbard's account because I resigned at the company before this happened, but I am asserting that this is a pattern that I know of that insiders use to take down accounts that they target. That's that's one, uh, kind of scary, especially because if it's so easy, anybody could do it. And two, that if you believe insiders are doing it, that's a gross breach of good faith. It is. That's why we need to expose this. The reason why Google needs to be audited. Yep. And uh, for those who are interested in Zach's pretty detailed uh, story, you can find that at minds.com slash perpetual maniac. Yep. And the title, the title is open letter, dear attorney representing Tulsi Gabbard, or you can find it on his Twitter account. That's right. It's a pinned post. It'll be uh, pinned for uh, the rest of this day, uh, at least. Okay. All right. What else? Anything else that uh, you'd like to tell us? Yeah, I just got a text message from somebody else. Yeah, so I want to talk about my breaking point. My breaking point was when I was like, okay, it doesn't matter what the danger is to me. I've got to come forward to the American people was when I saw Google deleting translation words out of the Arabic to English translation dictionary in order to make a Trump tweet sound crazy. And this craziness was then used by the New York Times in order to try to invoke the 25th Amendment to remove the president of the United States. Okay. So... I've disclosed this in this document dump um, under the name Kafefe because Kafefe was the word that they deleted. And so this background here is that Trump went to Saudi Arabia around and he got back around May 25th, 2017. And he returned and he made a tweet. And his tweet was, the news is fake Kafefe, something to that effect. Yeah, Kofefe or something. Yeah. Yeah. And the Kafefe translation was, we will stand up. And so what he's saying is the news is fake, but we will stand up to it. And that's a word that exists in Arabic. And uh, one of my friends that knows Hebrew real well says, yeah, that also exists in, in Hebrew as well. Well, the New York Times wrote an article saying that they had talked to some experts, quote unquote, and that these experts said that this word was nonsense. And so as a result of that, as a result of that, they declared that it was nonsense. And so uh, as a result of that article, a design document was created by one of the executives at Google saying, hey, let's replace the translation with an Easter egg. Uh, well, guess what? The Easter egg wasn't ever put in. It was just the, the word itself was just deleted. And the problem that they had was the problem that they had was that they had they couldn't just delete it once. They had to delete the word twice, Jim, because what happened was that the Google AI was smart enough to do a phonetic transliteration of the word and find a path to kafefe in the Arabic language. And so in the the, the, the implementation notes that I provided under Kafef, under the kafefe folder of the disclosure, you're gonna see the implement the, the, the operation of these operators as they're trying to delete this word out. And that was just like, wow, like, okay, so now it's not just election meddling. It's also now seditious slash treasonous behavior that Google is engaging in, in order to remove a sitting president of the United States. That's when I realized that this is now a national security issue. And so, you know, that was the breaking point. That's when I decided that I was going to disclose this by any means possible. Interesting. And you believe, do you believe that the audit trail for that behavior will have been preserved in the uh, Google system? I think that it exists somewhere. Even if they try to scrub it, there's so many archives and so many data centers that I believe that they can't scrub all of it. 
And if they do start scrubbing it, then what's going to happen is that there's going to be, they're going to awaken more people up to what Google is doing. I think that a lot of Google employees are listening to my interviews and they're becoming awakened to what Google is doing. So if they want to delete it, I mean, they can try, but I don't think it's going to be any advantage at this point. Uh, do you have a, uh, a place you'd like uh, other Google people who are uh, who have evidence of misdeeds to uh, communicate with you? Yeah, my, my advice to them is that they don't communicate to me because I know that I'm being watched right now. I mean, that's what I would do if I had a surveillance system is I would put the spotlight on me. I would tell them to instead contact Project Veritas and talk to them. They have a professional team. They're a professional media organization. And they're the ones that have the unique capability and integrity to maintain the discretion of their whistleblowers and to protect their identity and to publish this information only when the person gives them the okay to do so. Keep in mind, Project Veritas had most of these documents that they've disclosed for over a year. And they, they lived up to their end of the bargain. They lived up to their uh, embargo. And my advice to anyone that wants to out Google's illegal, illegal activity or other social media's illegal activity is to contact James O'Keefe. He is such an amazing human being. Other people told me that and with glowing terms. And I was like, this guy seems unreal. He's like, like he's so loved. But then I met him myself and he's almost like a, like a hero out of a movie when, when you really get to talk to him. And he is fighting the good fight. He's going to protect you and he's going to help change the world and make it a better place. So that's what I recommend everyone to do is contact James O'Keefe at Project Veritas. They've got a submit links link on their website and that makes it a lot easier. And But I do, I do have to, to tell people that when they do it, please do it behind a VPN and a Tor browser because the, brow, the Tor browser is recognized to be pretty safe. It was developed by the military and the military doesn't go after uh, its citizens. They go after foreign enemy combatants. So you know, if they want to, if they want to submit information, do it through Project Veritas using the Tor browser. Well, thank you, Zach. This has been an extraordinarily interesting uh, interview. I have not been able to uh, have time yet to read all this myself, but I, you know, the charges you are making are very serious, and I hope many people take an opportunity to look into this and uh, and see if what you're alleging is indeed going on. Yeah, don't take my word for it. Look at the documents that I've disclosed. That's where all the credibility is. I love is. the fact that you are willing to stand behind your story by having people look at the data. Uh, and that, that uh, you know, increases my, uh, my, my willingness to, to do further research in this story rather than just believe what I say, right? Uh, uh, by the way, I just checked five seconds ago on a incognito window, completely clean, and the title does now come up as the first entry from Medium. Why did Google suppress autocomplete for Clinton body count? First result is your Medium article. The second is the Y Combinator news item, which will get you a lot of visibility. Yeah, well, you know, the thing is, is that there's a lot of Google people following me and listening to everything that I say. So, you know... 
I just pointed out that they're suppressing me and then uh, within minutes it gets unsuppressed. So welcome to 2019 where everyone's a conspiracy theorist. All right. Theorist. Well, thanks, Zach. Uh, you know, I may, may well ask you to come on back in in a week or two when the, you know, when some clarity starts to come here and we get a sense of what, uh, how Google is going to respond to these claims. Yes. Yes. I would love to come back on your show and thank you so much for hosting me on your podcast. It's been an honor and a pleasure. Production services and audio editing by Stanton Media Lab. Music by Tom Muller at modernspacemusic.com. Music.